Hey, good morning. It is Sunday, March 22nd, 2020, and we are in the second week of not being able to meet for worship on Sunday morning. And quite honestly, I miss y'all. I miss worshiping together and being around and catching up with everybody. And unfortunately, because of what's happening in our world, this is, is where we're at, and we're trying to make the most of it. Also want to encourage you that not only is this the second week of not meeting, but it's also the fourth Sunday of Lent. And Lent is that period between Ash Wednesday and Resurrection Sunday, a period of 40 days, not counting Sundays, that we're supposed to focus in uh, on the sufferings of Christ for us and do a lot of reflection on our own lives about what that means for us, what Jesus' suffering and how much that, how amazing that was for us, how amazing that grace was, not only for us, but for all of humanity. So I hope you're taking some time to focus in on that. A lot of you received uh, the Lent devotionals that we made available uh, a few weeks ago, and I hope you're reading those. And uh, that is a good little devotion and will help keep you on track. We'll hope you and your family are staying safe and well. And uh, we're all trying to abide by what they've asked us to do to keep our social distancing and be careful, especially being around the senior adults who are more susceptible to this and those who have um, compromised immunity systems. So I'll, I hope you'll continue to do that. Uh, we'll be letting you know, uh, unfortunately, that we won't be able to meet the next two Sundays, and I'll be specifically sharing that in a newsletter and some other uh, information that will come out this week from the church. I also want to remind you that we're trying to stay connected with y'all through this very method, uh, video, and uh, we are blessed to have the technology that we have, and I'm thankful that our children's ministers, uh, Deanna and Kathy, are doing that with our kids and children right now and trying to do those things during the week and keep connected with them. And also Isaiah, our student minister, is doing that with our students and, and, and I even had the opportunity to do that this week with our adults. And we're going to continue to try to keep those things going and stay connected with you through uh, this mode of video and Internet. And uh, please join in when you can because we miss you and we'd love to stay, today stay connected. So this morning I want to continue in our series on the last words of Jesus from the cross. And uh, this is an interesting these are some interesting words from Jesus on the cross today, and we're going to continue that series. So I want to ask you a question this morning as we get started. Have you ever been forsaken? And probably, even if you have never used that word personally, when I said, have you been forsaken, ask that question, you probably nodded your head, or at least in your mind said, yeah, I can remember a time when I was forsaken. At the time that you were forsaken, you probably experienced emotional and spiritual and very, uh, very probably even physical pain. And the pain is something that we sometimes believe that when we go through that emotionally and spiritually and physically, we feel like no one else understands that pain. No one else. Even if they've been forsaken, even if they've experienced pain, they don't really understand. Mine is different. Well, why is that? Why do we believe that ours is different? Well, we believe that because it's all we know. It's our personal experience. But sometimes in our deep place of hurt, someone reaches out that has been there. Not exactly where we've been, but close enough to still have the scars, to still remember the pain, and also to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel of what we're going through. Their experience may not take away all of our pain that we're experiencing, 
but it can help us realize that all of humanity experiences the pain of being forsaken at some point. Their experience can, in some ways, help reduce the impact of the pain. And they can help us understand that there is something beyond this pain and this struggle that we're going through. So today we're going to look at some words from Jesus that he spoke on the cross. And I'm going to be reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, verses 45 through 49. Listen to what Matthew says. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. We find this same account in very similar words in Mark's gospel, but interestingly enough, we do not find these words in Luke's gospel or in John's gospel. As I mentioned last week, even in death, Jesus continues to live out what he taught. He forgave those who had put him on the cross. He continued to seek and save the lost, even as he reached out to a repentant yet dying criminal uh, that was on the cross next to him and gave him the hope of eternal life. He made sure that his mother Mary would be taken care of in his death and that John would have the love and wisdom of his mother. But the words we're going to look at today, the words that we've just read today and heard today, they seem different, don't they? Jesus' words don't seem to follow along with any of his specific teaching. This wasn't a confident word about God's power and God's kingdom and God's presence. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't calling out for Elijah as some said in this passage here. Those who said that were probably continuing their cruel and cynical mockery of Jesus. This is an agonizing cry, an agonizing cry of pain and loneliness. Jesus asking God, why has he forsaken him in this time of his extreme suffering? Jesus asking God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen to me right now? Well, what does this cry from Jesus mean? I remember as a kid reading this for the first time and, and being a little disturbed, quite honestly. I was thinking, man, why would Jesus talk to God like that? What does he mean by that? Why is God forsaking him? And I remember asking my mom about it, and she told me this is when Jesus took on all our sins. And though I didn't completely understand that, the thought of Jesus taking on all those sins and God having to separate himself from Jesus seemed to kind of ring a little bit better in my head when I, I tried to, to grasp that. I read this week that those words were also a mystery to Martin Luther when he first heard them. And it says that uh, I read that when he first read them, he actually went into seclusion and, and tried to do a lot of study and figure out exactly what, what did Jesus mean when he said that from the cross. And even when he came back from his time of study and seclusion, he was still not completely clear on that. Did Jesus really believe that God had forsaken him? Well, many commentators over the years recognize these words from Psalm 22, a psalm from David. And I'm going to read a part of that to you. I'm going to probably read verses uh, 1 through 8. Listen to this and how 
much of a prophecy this is, but also this is probably what Jesus was referring to when he said those words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you and they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Why would Jesus quote David in this psalm here? Why does he refer to this? But as you heard, this psalm is unmistakably a prophecy being fulfilled here. You notice that David mentions those who scorn and mock Jesus, and we see all this going on at Jesus' crucifixion. This has to be a fulfillment of prophecy. I think we need to understand that Jesus is truly crying out in physical and emotional and even spiritual pain here. The human part of him cannot escape this real pain. And interestingly here, he says, My God, my God. And in the other parts of the Gospels where Jesus talks to God directly, he always addresses him as Father. Only here does he say, My God, my God. Jesus is truly feeling and experiencing for the first and only time ever separation from God, his Father. Stu Epperson, as he talks about these last words of Jesus, says this, No greater pain has ever been experienced on any level than the hell of Christ suffering in this moment. But why? Because he carried all of that pain, all of that sin, guilt, and shame in that moment. Yet on a far deeper level, he was forsaken and punished for us to reconcile us to God. As Jesus takes all the sins of humanity on himself, God, holy and just, cannot be a part of sin. He must turn his back. He must separate himself from this sin and allow the penalty for breaking God's law to be paid once and for all. Jesus knew and God knew from the beginning that Jesus would be born in this world to take care of this. He knew it would be his own son that would take care of this, that would sacrifice and would take all of these sins on himself once and for all. This feeling of being forsaken, being separated, is why Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane asked this question before his death. God, if there's any way this cup can be taken from me, let's do that. But not my will but your will be done. Yet in the end, Jesus desired and submitted to God's will for humanity not to have to go through what he was going to go through. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way in his second letter to the Corinthians. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Elizabeth Elliot in her book, Keep a Quiet Heart, says this, it is always best to go first for our answers to Jesus himself. He cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a human cry, a cry of desperation. 
springing from his heart's agony at the prospect of being put in the hands, into the hands of wicked men and actually becoming sin for you and me. We can never suffer anything like that, yet we do at times feel forsaken and cry, Why, Lord? The psalmist asked why. Job, a blameless man, suffering horrible torments on an ash heap, asked why. It does not seem to me to be sinful to ask the question, what is sinful is resentment against God and His dealings with us. Very interesting words. And as I read her words and I thought this, who in the Bible did not feel forsaken and asked that very question that David did and that Jesus refers to here on the cross? God, why am I being forsaken? We've all asked that. But I think about the, the Bible characters. I think about Abel as Cain killed him. Did he feel forsaken? Did he cry out? Did Noah feel forsaken as he was ridiculed day after day as he built the ark? Did Abraham and Sarah feel forsaken when they were promised a child and day after day, year after year, they still waited for that child? 25 long years. Did Isaac... Feel forsaken when Abraham put him on that altar and was about to, to sacrifice him? Did Esau feel forsaken when Jacob got his blessing? Did Jacob, who was tricked by his father-in-law on his wedding night, feel forsaken? Did Joseph feel forsaken? Certainly he did when his brother sold him into slavery. Moses had to have feel, felt forsaken when he didn't make it into the promised land after leading the people of Israel all those years. Job, enduring the unbelievable disasters that he encountered, certainly he felt forsaken. And I could go on and on, and it's certainly not limited to the characters of the Old Testament. All the characters in the New Testament, certainly, as we read their writings, felt also a time of being forsaken. And John Piper says this, This is not a question looking for an answer, but an answer to a question that all of humanity will ask at some time. And that certainly is true. We will all ask that question if we haven't already. Tim Keller illustrates it this way. He says, If after a service some Sunday morning, one of the members of my church comes up to me and says, I never want to see you or talk to you again, I will feel pretty bad. But if today my wife comes up to me and says, I never want to see you or talk to you again, that's a lot worse. He says, the longer the love, the deeper the love, the greater the torment of its loss. But this forsakenness, this loss, was between Father and the Son, who had loved each other from all of eternity. Jesus, the maker of the world, was being unmade. Why? Jesus was experiencing judgment day. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't a rhetorical question, and the answer is, for you, for me, for us. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we would never have to be. The judgment that should have fallen on us fell instead on Jesus. I really like what he says there. But I want us to go back for a minute to, uh, for a minute to, to Psalm 22. And I want us to look at a specific verse that you heard earlier as I read it. But it's verse 6, and it says this. But I am a worm and not a man. Now this week I learned something very fascinating about this verse from my friend Terry who shared this with me. The Hebrew word for worm is rima, but the word here used is tola. And so the question is why 
does this thing about worm really matter? And why does David use this word? And why does Jesus refer to this psalm? Well, it certainly seems to be a prophecy, this Psalm 22. There seems to be no doubt. But there's a lot more prophecy that we can't see here because of the Hebrew language. The worm, uh, the worm this word tola referred to, it refers to is a specific worm, a specific species called Kermes vermilion. And it is found uh, on Mediterranean bushes or trees, usually uh, on the Kermes oak tree. And it's kind of a grub worm. Um, the female worms were used to extract crimson or scarlet dye to color fabrics and manuscripts back in history. The female worms were used to extract um, this crimson dye, as I said. And when the female worm gets pregnant, she will make her way to a bush or a tree and find a comfortable spot there and she'll attach herself. She'll lay down and pierce the skin or the bark of the tree and start to withdraw sap and she uses it, uses it to literally glue herself permanently to that spot. And she cannot leave this spot, she will be there permanently. She knows this and she knows this is how she will give birth to her young and she also knows this is the spot where she will die. As the baby worms grow inside the mother, they survive by eating the sap the mother has extracted from the tree. But as they start to grow, they have to survive by literally eating the mother's living body from the inside out. As the worms continue to grow, the mother's outer carcass can no longer contain them. It then breaks open, and what's left of her body, the fluids and the sap, run out of the branch or onto the tree where she is, leaving this bright crimson or scarlet stain. But this is where it's fascinating. Three days, within three days, this stain starts to turn white, a fluffy white, white as snow, almost looking like wool, fluffy white wool, and will eventually be blown away uh, or slowly flake off as the wind blows. I found that pretty fascinating, and I appreciate Terry sharing that with me. Now, does that not paint a picture of Jesus' words at the Last Supper? Take and eat this bread that represents my body. Drink this juice, this wine that represents my blood. The mother knows she will give up her body for the life of her children, that worm. That's what she knows. That's who she is. Jesus knew that he would give up his life for all of God's children. And as Isaiah in chapter 1 verse 18 says, probably a familiar passage, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they will be like wool. This isn't a coincidence. This again is another amazing example of prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus through his death and resurrection. And there are some more really interesting things in this Hebrew word study of Psalm 22. And I would like to encourage you to go to YouTube and put in the search bar, I am a worm, and look for a specific video by Breath of Messiah TV. It's a fascinating video, and I think you'll enjoy it, so I encourage you to do that. Well, I hope you can look at this saying of Jesus from the cross and identify more clearly with Him, with Jesus as a human and His humanity, and what He went through for you and for every human that has ever been in order to reconcile us to God, not only now, but also for all of eternity. Frederick Beekner in his book A Room Called Remember says this, 
As the farthest reach of our love for each other is loving our enemies, as the farthest reach of God's love for us is loving us at our most unlovable and unlovely, so the farthest reach of our love for God is loving Him when in almost every way that matters, we can neither see Him nor hear Him. When the worst of the wilderness for us is the fear that He has forsaken us, if indeed He exists at all. And we have those moments where we feel like that. And I think in this passage we can see that Jesus in all of His humanity, although being God, also experienced what we do, the hurts, the feeling of forsakenness, but reminding us that we're not. We think we are, but we're never alone. God has always had a plan and has always wanted us to be restored and reconciled to Him. I want to close today with this story. Poet Christian Wyman was diagnosed with, a, was diagnosed with an incurable form uh, of blood cancer on his 39th birthday. He wrote frankly about the agonizing effects of, of the illness and the treatments. He said this, I have had bones die and bowels fail, joints lock in my face, arms, and legs so that I could not eat and could not walk. I have passed through pain that I could never have imagined, pain that seemed to incinerate all my thoughts of God and to leave me sitting there in the ashes alone. When the diagnosis came, Wyman was a rising star in the literary world and he was the editor of a prestigious poetry publication. Though Wyman confessed his Christian faith had evaporated in the blast of modernism and secularism to which he had been exposed to in college, the diagnosis started a journey for him that ultimately led him back to God. It wasn't a particular doctrine that drew him back to the faith, but Wyman found a friend in the suffering Messiah. Listen to what he says. I am a Christian because of that moment on the cross when Jesus, drinking from the very dregs of human bitterness, cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The point is that God is with us, not beyond us. In suffering, I am a Christian because I understand that moment of Christ's passion to have meaning in my own life. And what it means is that the absolute solitary and singular nature of extreme human pain is an illusion. I'm not suggesting that ministering angels are going to come down and comfort you as you die. I'm suggesting that Christ's suffering shatters the iron walls around individual human suffering. In the face of brutal, isolating pain, we don't always want answers, do we? We want a person, and at such time, there is simply no substitute for the presence of Christ. I believe that Jesus was answering the question all humanity asks. My God, why have you forsaken me? Why is this happening? Why am I having to go through this? But on the cross, six long hours that day, Jesus became sin for us that we might be healed once and for all for what really ails us. And that is our sin that separates us from God and one another. And Jesus took care of that. Do you realize that? Have you accepted that grace? Have you accepted that grace from the one who knew no sin, who became sin for you and for me and for all of humanity? Have you accepted that? That you might become the righteousness of God. That's what Jesus' death on the cross did. That's what His resurrection did. It allowed us to become the righteousness of God in spite of our sins. Jesus took care of that. 
You know, you can accept that today. You can have that reconciliation with God today, right now. And I hope you'll do that. If you would like some uh, help doing that, if you'd like to, to walk through that or talk through that, I'd be glad to meet with you this week. You can certainly call me at the church or uh, set up an appointment or we can do it over the internet, but I'd love to talk to you about that if you'd like. If you're not comfortable talking to me, I totally understand that. But please talk to somebody. If this message, if what Jesus said on the cross has connected you closer to Him, please don't let that be a fleeting thought, something that just passes. But talk to somebody. This is God talking to you. This is God speaking to your heart and to your mind and to your soul. So please take care of that today. I appreciate you joining us today. I want to remind you of our prayer initiative that we started last week called 447 and basically at 447 either in the early morning or in the late afternoon or both if you choose we're encouraging you to join with us and looking at and reflecting on Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 through 7 which says rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we're asking you to reflect on that, and then also take some time after that to specifically pray for the aspects of healing and hope concerning the coronavirus. Uh, those who have it, those who are looking for a cure, working for a cure, those who are in the medical field, those who are taking care of people that have it, uh, those who are distributing uh, supplies that are so needed all over the world, pray for all of that. And uh, certainly also pray for those who are having to make decisions um, for others to keep them safe uh, during this time. Well, I hope you and your family will stay safe and I look forward to seeing you again. Please jump on with us when you can uh, through the internet and through these different uh, venues we have so we can stay connected. And I hope today, as always, that you were encouraged and challenged by the message. Take care. God bless you and your family, and we hope to see you back next week.